0: Good morning, Christ Central. I'm Becky Lenz, and I'm a part of the community outreach group as well as the Plaza Midwood community group. So this morning, we're going to be reading from Judges 11, 1 to 11, 29 to 40. Now, Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also had several sons, and when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. "'You will not get any of our father's inheritance,' they said, "'for you are a son of a prostitute.'" So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel— When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Because we need you, the elders replied. If you lead us in a battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. Jephthah said to the elders, "Uh, let me get this straight. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and the commander of the army. At Mizpah, in the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead, and from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, If you give me victory over the Ammonites... I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So Jephthah led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aror, an area near Meneth, and as far away as Abel-Kiriman. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites, when Jephthah returned home to Mitzvah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I've made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And she said, "'Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, "'you must do to me what you have vowed, "'for the Lord has given you a great victory "'over your enemies, the Ammonites. "'But first let me do this one thing. "'Let me go up and roam in the hills "'and weep with my friends for two months "'because I will die a virgin.' "'You must go,' Jephthah said, "'and he sent her away for two months. "'She and her friends went into the hills "'and wept because she would never have children.' When she returned home, her father kept the vow he made, and she died a virgin. So it has become a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, that's a happy scripture. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, in, in many ways, I feel like I kind of got the short end of the stick. Uh, you know, we've been going through this series, and I'm like, um, you know, Pastor, uh, speaking of Pastor Josh, like, oh, wait, I've got this chapter? I've, you know, it's like, uh, you could have called this sermon, I was tempted to call it like Prostitutes and Sacrifices, but that's, you know, I realize our youth were in here, but they've heard all kinds of stuff. But, you know, just, but I'm just like, you know, it's just like, all right, I'm going to go with the less racy kind of title. Uh, but then you've also got this guy, and his name's Jephthah right, and, you know, try to say that name five times fast, which is pretty hard. It's a tongue twister. You know, why couldn't I get, like, uh, Samson, who's next, or, or Gideon, who just came before that, you know, that this is the guy whose name is pretty hard, and his, his mom's a prostitute, you know, talk about that, and get into all these different issues, but um, nevertheless, it is in God's word, uh, and it's these kind of things, like, these are stories that you just can't make up, right, this is Real life. Uh, It's one of the comforting things about God's word that it speaks to the real world uh, and lets us see um, our world, the world that we actually live in, a little bit better. Right? So, hopefully, that'll happen for us this morning as we go through this text. Um, Let me also say that, um, as you already heard from our brother this morning, uh, uh, Elder Brother Brad, it's like, you know, many believers around the world today are celebrating Pentecost Sunday. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a big deal, right, because this is the promise. You know, God made a promise to Abraham thousands of years ago, speaking to him and saying uh, that I will make of you a great nation, right? He told, took him out and he said, look at the stars, right? And uh, you, you can't even count them. These are the descendants that I will give to you, but I will bless them and they will be a blessing, right, to, to all nations, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Little did, uh, did Abraham know how God was going to fulfill that promise. Abraham didn't know that you and I would be here today, and that not, not only would there be pe- many people that don't share his heritage, ethnic- ethnically speaking, that would be his sons and daughters, but he didn't know that when, when God said that he was, would be with his people, that he would be with them um, in their spirits, united with them through the Holy Spirit. Um, God has done an incredible thing And and so on on Pentecost Sunday, we remember this. We remember that God has fulfilled his promise indeed and has surpassed our imaginations and surpassed the imaginations of our spiritual ancestors and forefathers and foremothers. And uh, so we celebrate that today in anticipation of what God will do as we take, um, uh, some of you know, uh, Kelly Cross is a sister of uh, this congregation. She was a member here for many years. I was I looking at her instagram the other day and she's got this little quote that says uh do small things with great love right i just i know that's that's incredible right that, that do small things with great love and that love that we get to be able to do these small things to the glory of god comes through the power and the indwelling of the holy spirit and so it's no small thing that we're able to celebrate uh pentecost sunday with other believers around the world today so i just want to make mention of that i also want to take one more point of pastoral privilege Um, and just say uh, a late happy birthday to my son Preston Uh, he didn't know I was about to do this but he turned he turned 12 on Friday and uh, he's just uh, he's grown enough to be a a strong and mature young man and I'm very proud of him and so we just uh, yeah I just wanted to celebrate my boy so um, but there's there's that all right, so here's this, here's this text that we're, we're into and like wondering what in the world happened. Like what, did, did, some, did uh, this man, who's supposed to be a judge, did he really just sacrifice his daughter? Like what's going on? We're going to get to that, all right? But um, before we get into all that, and I'm going to try to be somewhat brief because I know we've got um, our youth in here with us today. We've got many guests, some of whom I'll mention here later on. Um, but um, let me just remind you of this, what we're doing with this series, So we've been talking about, as we've been going through the book of Judges, we've got this theme that um, that Pastor Josh and others have come up with about an imperfect Savior. And the Judges were people that, they were military leaders that God would raise up to rescue his people whenever they were in trouble from foreign powers. And so this was a cycle that would happen over and over and over again. Every, um, uh, Every several years or so, like Israel would find themselves being oppressed by foreign power. Now, it wasn't simply because, like, other powers were, were jealous of them and wanted their land. It was mainly because Israel had sinned. Uh, as you read the book of Judges, you see over and over again that they had, um, that the, the scriptures tells us that they began to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They began to worship different gods. Now, you know, you would think, like, especially in our culture today, like, hey, this happens all the time. Like, people have all kinds of different gods and such, but these are the people of God. These are the ones who uh, have received the oracles of God. They have received the commandments and many have entered in through the sign of circumcision and their, their children and their children's children have been raised up underneath the law and uh, had heard the words of the prophets and it was their ancestors that had been freed from slavery in Egypt and yet they have begun to, in their hearts, turn away from the God who had delivered them and begin to give themselves to foreign idols. And so God would judge them because of their sin but because he grew impatient with their misery because God is merciful and because God remembered his promise to Abraham he would bring them relief and rescue through these judges that he would raise up and so um, but we understand that the, these saviors that God had raised up to help his people were imperfect right they they could not save God's people from what they really needed saving from and so as we're going through the book of Judges, we are, looking at the, we are also looking at how their actions point us to the perfect Savior who would come, who is Jesus. So we're looking at, um, through the, the, the ministry and the lives of these judges, to help us see Jesus a little bit more clearly. And we have to do this in our day, because if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, it is not just these judges who are imperfect saviors, but many times we find that we ourselves are trying to imperfectly save ourselves. And so we need to remember the one who, uh, who conquered death and is risen and who God has set apart as the true Savior, the only Savior of humanity and of his good world that he has made. Um, one way we try to do this, one way that we try to save ourselves is by managing our reputations. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm trying to manage our reputations, right? And I, I don't mean doing good business, right? That's it. you're supposed to do that, that's good, right? Uh, I, I don't mean making sure that you bathe right before you leave the house, right? Or before you go to bed, you're taking a shower, like that's good, right? Do you want to manage, that's a good reputation. You don't want to walk around being the, the smelly person, right? So that's, that's good. Uh, but you know, I, what I, I'm talking about is this whole idea of trying to feel worthy of living, managing your reputation so that you feel worthy of living. So I will simply start with this, just a couple of questions. First, to all my young people in the room, are you tired of managing your reputation? Are you tired of it? And to the rest of my family here, to the rest of the family, all are, are, are you weighed down from trying to always, you know, having to uh, so-called prove your quality, right? Like, like uh, you know, some of you remember this, the, the rap artist, Birdman, right? Are you tired of trying to, you know, get others to put some speck on your name, right? Is that, you know, are you, are you just getting exhausted from, from doing that? Has that become a part of your life, a rhythm, a habit, that has begun to weigh you down, where well, there's hope for you this morning. There's hope for us as we listen into the story of Jephthah. And so I'm going to talk to you this morning about the promise of honor. Uh, and this is promise that can set us free as we seize uh, three things that I, I think this, uh, the text, that I just want to point out from the text. Uh, it, it will, this promise will set us free as we, as we seize our, our longing for honor, Right? Also, the, the gift of honor, and lastly, the work of honor. Right? So we look at our longing, the gift, and the work. Well, you know, it's probably helpful just to get our definitions together here. So in the dictionary, in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, defines or describes honorable as one whose worth brings respect. One whose worth brings respect, or fame. Uh, it is also describes it as uh, a good name or public esteem, and that part's important, it's public, right? Uh, to be honored is to have social credit, It's to have a reputation, right? And, and there's, a, there's a longing that we have, that each of us has, and it's driving us toward things. And let me, let me unpack this a little bit. Let me give you all just a few examples here, just so you kind of get the idea of what I mean, that there, there's this longing that we have. There's something that is within us that is driving us. Something drives us to compete for trophies and for romance. Something drives us to imitate as best as we can popular people on social media or in the movies, right? Something drives us to uh, drives parents to overpunish their kids or to coddle them, right? Something is driving driving lies and gossip in the locker room or even in the powder room. Something drives us to accept people into our lives that we really shouldn't and to not accept people into our lives that we should. Something is driving us to sort of like if we're, if we're like in a room full of people Something drives us to sort of shimmy toward that part of the room where people are laughing, right? Especially if there's, like, dry conversation over here, and like, oh, yeah, let me go over there, right? Something drives us to do that. Something drives us to show up at the party dressed or behaving as someone that we're really not. Something drives nations to go to war, and, and, and we're, we're longing to be honored, Right? In a world where shame exists. This is why we, we have this longing because we're, we're longing to have honor in a world where shame exists. And all those different examples uh, touch all kinds of people. It touches ministers too, right? I'll just let you know that. Right? So one example I can share from my, from my own life is I, as a pastor, I have, and it's, and it's been an honor, right, to, to be in multi-ethnic spaces like this. But there have been times in which I've asked myself the question, but wait, as an African-American pastor in multi-ethnic spaces, am I now no longer a part of the struggle of my people? Right, am I, am I, am I somehow outside now? Have I become dishonored as a black man, right? Uh, Have I become an illegitimate son of my people? These are questions, and and it's not just something that that, that African-American pastors or people of color may wrestle with, and you heard some of this in David's story earlier, um, right? But it's something that leaders of various ethnicities struggle with, right? All of us have a cultural or family narrative for success. of us have that. And we're trying to measure up to it to some degree. But it's that shame that we fear or the shame that we feel that drives us into the world looking for honor. And and there's some among us too who are, are close to graduation or have already graduated or you know somebody, right? This is that time of year where people are leaving high school and you know, launching into the world as young adults, right? And so even for those, of, for, for those of you and those of them who are going through that, like help them to think about this, that you might be going to the world already bearing shame and you might be driven to seek honor for yourself because of it. Jephthah, as you look at his story, he was forced out of his house. Right? He had to leave his father's house. Look at it again in verse verses one through three. In uh, chapter 11 there, it says, Now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute. Gilead was the father of Jephthah, and Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when his wife's sons grew up, what did they do? They drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another mother. Right? Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob, and worthless fellows collected around Jephthah and went out with him. Hey, it's, so here's, he's the firstborn. And the firstborn is supposed to get the inheritance. This is how it works. It's how it works in traditional cultures, and in many ways it still works that way in modern societies too, right? That, you know, if you're the firstborn, you should expect a lot. A lot's coming to you. So... You know, like some things are working towards, and my my daughter might be smiling right now. She's the firstborn, so. But so there's right. You're the firstborn, so you you expect the inheritance, right? And yet, Jephthah was robbed of this because his. You see here, his his brothers, right? They go, "Wait, there's more for us if we can get rid of this guy, right?" So, and here's the obvious. Like he's got a different mother, and he doesn't just have a different mother. She's a prostitute, right? Now, so. Now, young people, I'm sure you already know what a prostitute is, and don't worry, parents, I'm not going to break it down, but I just, I'm pretty sure they already know, right? So, um, so th- this was not a good thing, and so they, they bring it up. Now, in the, in the culture during this time, this was not uncommon, especially not during this time, especially in the life of Israel, right, for, for men to have had children by prostitutes. Right? This was like, it was, it was pretty common. So that wasn't, that wasn't uncommon. But what happens here is that Jephthah's brothers decide to use that as an occasion for their greed. And so they shame him, and, and he gets shunned. He literally gets shunned. He's cast out. He is forced to run away from home so that they can take what was due him for themselves. And so Jephthah is now living in shame, and he has to go out, and he has to live apart from his own people, right, until... They needed something. There's an example I think uh, um, in, in books and also films that, I, I, that came to mind as I thought of this story. And uh, y'all know I'm like a fan of Lord of the Rings. And if you watch uh, the first movie, Fellowship of the Ring, or you read the book, you know this character named Boromir, right? And, and Boromir uh, joins the fellowship, and you think he's going to help Frodo and Sam to be able to get the ring. And you know, take it to you know the fires of Mordor so that it's you know it's finally destroyed. Um, but he doesn't, right? So this isn't a spoiler here. I mean, this book's been out for decades, right? So, um, but you know, so, so but but then he's like, you know, you you think he's gonna, you know, he's a part of the fellowship, he's he's on board. But no, something else is is driving him. And it, every time he gets near that ring, he's just like he's like little Hobbit, you know, just. Just give me that ring. Like, I could, I could do great things for my own people. And what you find out later on is that what's driving him uh, toward this is the way that his father feels about him. His father, Denethor, like, he, he has a brother, you know, Faramir, and he's just like, you know, Faramir's like the golden boy, and, and Boromir can't do anything right. and so he, and, But his father's already gone mad, right? That's what you find out about him. And his father's just like, you know, can you just do, I, you know, in our language today, like, you got one thing, right? You got one assignment. That's it. Like, I just need you to get this right. Get that ring and bring it back. That's it, right? And, and then, like, and Boromir's thinking, yeah, I'll finally be honored in my father's eyes if I can get this ring. And that's what's driving him, right? And I think as we think about this story of Jephthah, just beginning as we're get into this text, and even thinking about Boromir, we have to ask ourselves, what's, what's driving us? As we're moving forward through the world seeking success and going after achievements and seeking to, accomplishment, seeking to accomplish great things, what is driving us? That's why it's important to take a look at our longings here. Right? Because if we don't, we can get into danger, as Jephthah did, as we'll discover here in just a minute. So Jephthah, what he does like Boromir going out, sort of corrupted and disturbed in his heart. He goes out, the scriptures tell us, and he casts his future in with the wrong crowd, even though he makes a great name for himself as a warrior. So he goes out and he succeeds and he does great things, but, but look, look who he's hanging out with. The scripture says, worthless fellows, right? I mean, And so if you look at that text carefully, what you see, what, the, what the, the, the scriptures are trying to tell us is that he went out actually robbing folk, raiding villages. That's how he became a great warrior. It wasn't like he just, he went out and defeated all the enemies of his people, you know, like low-key, like the reason why we're safe right now is because of Jephthah. Like, no, like, it's, like, he was out there, like, robbing folk. Like, he was running, he was running with the stick-up crew. Right? So, if, you know, those of you who grew up during the New Jack City era, you know what I'm talking about, right? That crew that was always on the corner, you know, tugging at their pants, stuff like that, like, Dad, that dude's probably strapped. I'm not gonna go over there. You know, that's like, Jethro was hanging with those dudes. Okay, so, man, like, this guy's falling bad, but yet he's making a name for himself. Now, we think about that, we go, hmm, man, that, that seems like an extreme, that's not me, or that's not anyone that I know. But again, you have to ask yourself the question, like, who are you running with these days? Who's your crew? As you're out there, right, of attempting to, to make your mark in the world, who, look around. Who surrounds you as you're doing this? Where has your longing taken you? I heard a story just uh, not that long ago from some folks in a different state, but they were talking about, um, you know, just success in the business world. And, you know, as a believer, as a believer, you know if you're part of a large company or something like that like okay i'm trying to work out my faith here and i want to work faithfully and and he was just like and he was telling the story of the you know several men that he knew who would confide in him and they were just saying like look hey if i want to succeed like all i have to do is just be a jerk like that's it and that's exactly what they do right and so and it's like but wait aren't you a christian and so like like yeah it doesn't matter right i mean and you know i'm out here this is the work world and I just do things the way that they say, and that's how I make it work, right? So if you want to learn more about that discussion, you can talk to some about or twelve people here. But, um, but in, any, in any case, there's, there's, right, so this is sort of what Jephthah has done. He's fallen in with the wrong crowd. And, he, and he's, he's made um, success the wrong way. And he's developed a great name for himself. But what has driven him into the arms of these folks is his shame. And he's seeking honor. Right, but, you know, but now that we get to the part of the story where, right, Jephthah, he lost his home, right? And, and, and here he's, uh, at some point later in the story, he becomes like the hero, and he's kind of like an anti-hero, if you will. Um, you know, he's lost his home, right? We know this about him. And Gilead, his, his home country, they're about to lose their home. And so they call on him. So here's Jephthah's chance to regain his honor. He has the ability to to go back and to be restored, not only in his father's household, but among his people. And the people needed, as we've already been looking at, right, every time they get into trouble, they need a judge, a military leader. And so this is what they needed in this case. They needed a military leader. They needed a a judge to, to come and to rescue them from their enemies, and Jephthah was that guy, right? So apparently even while he was out in the exile, they were still keeping in contact with him. They were still watching his YouTube channel or something, and they kind of knew what this guy was doing. right? So they knew about his career. They knew about his warrior success. And so they wanted him to be the next judge, but that wasn't enough for him, the scriptures tell us. Right? Like he, 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 he considered it for a second, right? And, but it wasn't enough for him to be a judge just like Ehud or Deborah before him. But... Um, apparently, the leaders of Gilead knew what his brothers did. Apparently, they knew that many years ago, his brothers had kicked him out and that he had to flee. And and they either were were complicit in one of two ways. They either helped his brothers or they stood by and did nothing. They were silent, right? I mean, this is just a quick side note. Some of the dishonor that you experience in your life happens through the silence of others, right? There's just, sometimes it happens because somebody didn't speak up when they should have. But, but so, but that's just, okay, so, and, and, right, you read this story, you're like, oh, God knows, God knows. Okay, he knows my situation, all right? But uh, he, he, Jephthah didn't forget how he had been treated. And neither did they, right? Verse seven, it says, but Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me? Right, and, and, and drive me out of my father's house? See, he implicates them, right? Now, he's not just talking to his brothers. He's talking to all the elders, right? Did, did y'all, like, right, not just them, but y'all? And then he says, why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And then the elders of Gilead, look at their response. They said to Jephthah, uh, that is why we have turned to you now, that you may go with us and fight with the Ammonites and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. See, like, they admit it. Like, oh, so you admit it. Right? You, you were complicit in, what, in my dishonor and what happened to me. Right? You, I bear the shame in, in part because of what you've done. And you guys know it. Right? And, but yet, So then um, what the elders decide to do, they don't ask for forgiveness. They don't go kind co- of through like you would hope somebody would do um, when they've dishonored you or shamed you. Right? Instead, they just, they're they like, all right, let's, we're about to lose this guy. Right? Jeff is a mighty warrior. He's our last hope. Let's sweeten the pot a little bit, right? So they, 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 they come back with a better offer, right? They, they strike the, they do the deal, right? And they're, they're like, okay, look, we'll, we'll make you the, the ruler. Now, now, that was hasty. Here's why that was hasty, okay? Because during the time of the judges, remember this, this predates, this is before the monarchy in Israel. So they didn't have kings. The only king was supposed to be God, that's it. But as you learn from the very like, first chapters of Judges, Israel had forsaken God as their king. And so they're coming up with all these little ways, the wheel and deal, and they're trying to make stuff work. Right? And so here, here's what they do is that with Jephthah, they get desperate, and they're just like, hey, look, we'll make you a ruler over us, and that's going to cause problems for them later with their neighbors, as you see in, in chapter 12, if you read that. But then it says, um, the Scriptures tell us that, that he, uh, as you read this, you, you see that in the life of Israel, Right? The, that, that God is was supposed to be the only ruler over his people. To have a ruler over any part of Israel was abnormal at that time. Right? And but they were desperate. But Jephthah was desperate too. He 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 wanted to uh, to make a deal so that he could redeem himself. Now there's some missing verses. And what was read uh, this morning, if you go back and read some of those, some of the other verses in chapter 11, what you see there is that um, what, what Jephthah does after he accepts the deal is he, like, he then has this conversation with the king of Ammon, right, uh, the king of the Ammonites. And uh, he's trying to get them to not go to war. He's like, hey, he's trying to reason with them. And, but it doesn't work. So then they eventually have to go to war, right? So Jephthah's like, dang it. Right. Well, you know, all right. Now we got to jump in. Like We got to throw hands. You know, it's time. And then what does Jephthah do? Right. He, he takes up uh, his weapons. He gathers his men. He gets them in a circle. They start doing the song and all that, getting pumped up. No, that's not what he does. Right. He makes a vow to God that he shouldn't have. Right. He's desperate. Dude is struggling. OK, so then uh, he makes a vow that costs him dearly. So the, the scriptures, that you already heard, it tells us that he, he made this vow. He said, he, said, he said, God, if you would deliver us, I will give you, I will give to you, I will sacrifice to you the first thing that comes out my door when I return from victory. And then he said, then after, you read, he comes back from the, the war after having won, after God has delivered the Ammonites into his hand, the first person to come out singing and dancing and celebrating is his daughter. Now, we might be thinking, like, oh, maybe he thought, like, Fluffy was going to come out or, or, you know, Robo or whatever, right, a dog or something. Like, no. Right. You know, because like in many places around the world today, the surprises and the surprise me as an American, It surprise a lot of others. A lot of, a lot of people don't domesticate their animals. Right. Like a lot of people don't have dogs just kind of hanging around in their house like the dogs run in the streets. Right. So, you know, so so it's kind of like, wait, this is what was going on at that time. There was no expectation. So Jephthah didn't make this vow thinking like, OK, I'm going to ask the Lord of this and maybe my dog will come out. You know, he's kind of old and cratchety anyway. Like, it might be his time. Like, maybe, like, so if God chooses that dog, you know, that's it. And I'll just sacrifice him, it's all good. And also, if you know anything about the sacrificial system, you know that putting a dog in the altar is not, not exactly anywhere there in Leviticus, right? It's usually pigeons, goats, bulls, things of that nature, right? So he's not thinking that. Scholars and commentators agree that it was clear that Jephthah knew that with his vow, he was submitting some human being into the hands of God. We're talking about human sacrifice, right? And yeah, we all go, like, mm, mm, mm. See that, right? And that, and that, was, that was, hey, look, back then, it was, it was just like now, that's detestable, right? And, and you would sacrifice another person and put them on the altar? Like, what? Like, and God would never be okay with something like that. So here's, here, here's sort of, let me just give y'all real quick, just some, because y'all probably wondering, like, this is sort of the elephant in the room now with this text, like, what's going on? Um, there are two theories about what could have happened here. First one is, uh, yeah, maybe this was, uh, maybe what happened is, yeah, uh, Jephthah, after uh, his daughter had spent time on the mountain, like, with her friends in mourning, and after she returned returned, um, he did sacrifice her. Right? And that's, that's the theory. And to support that theory, things are saying like, hey, he did, after all, he did spend time with worthless fellows. Right? He, he was running with thieves and crooks and all that kind of stuff and, you know, with this merry band of folk and, you know, like some, something was off with this guy, right? So, um, so it's like, so it's possible, all right? Now, this other theory says, uh, well, actually, he didn't, he didn't physically sacrifice his child, what he did was spiritually sacrifice her, right? So it's more like when Hannah brings, um, brings Samuel to the temple, right? And then he spends the rest of his life with, uh, with Eli uh, as a, you know, a first son, like you can call like an acolyte and such, being raised up as a priest. Uh, and so, the, and then there are many people who that argue for that, scholars who say, yeah, because if you look at Jephthah, you know, like look at his life, even though he had, fallen in with some wrong fellows and such. When he came back, he did make his vow to God. Like He remembered, he knows what, what the Lord God of Israel requires and what is acceptable to him, right? He has an idea. So like he wouldn't have it in his mind that, hey, let me make this vow to God, knowing that at some point it might be um, a human being that comes out that I'm going to have to like cut down or burn up or something of that nature, right? That's just not what was on his mind. Um, I'm more inclined to go with the second uh, on this case. But in either case, here's what happens, right? And Jephthah says it. He's like, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. right? Because I, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm lost my only child. right? Whether she's been sacrificed or she now has to spend her time uh, you know, as a virgin for the rest of her life like being set apart for service to the Lord, he is ruined. Right? Why is that? Well, remember, he was trying to regain his honor. And he thought that, hey, like, like, look, if I, um, if I get the victory, then I not only get my, possibly my father's inheritance, but I get this whole country. And, that, and not only do I get this whole country, but now it becomes mine. I get to pass it down, you see, through, the, through my lineage. But now my daughter is gone. So, I've lost it all. Like uh, the very thing that I hope to gain, I've lost it all, plus more. Right? And so, here's the question To what lengths will you go to gain victory in this world? To what lengths will you go to gain victory over your own shame? Right? I mean, Jephthah couldn't afford to lose the battle. Do you uh, approach your life in the same way? Are you, do, you, uh, you know, come, uh, do you go into the world trying to claim victory and honor for yourself by any means necessary? Jephthah thought that he could regain his father's inheritance and pass on his entire country down to his children and their children's children, but he lost it all simply by making a hasty vow. He was desperate to regain his honor, but he lost a whole lot more than he had intended. He lost his only child, his only hope for a legacy, and, and, and family, what might you be in danger of losing right now? As you think about your lives, what might you be in danger of losing right now or possibly years from now because of your need for honor? Jephthah, Jephthah shows us also that there's good news because there's an honor that is given to us as a gift, as a gift, right? So Jephthah, what he needed to realize before he made that vow is he needed to realize, like, hey, I don't need to make this vow, right? Because, because God has already vowed to give me honor. He already did it, right? But, but he forgot, and his people had forgotten, right? Because they had walked away from God. They had forgotten the promises. They had forgotten the promise that God made to their forefather, Abraham, And they they forgot that those promises were for them if they would keep the covenant. Like all they had to do was stay in relationship with God and to give him glory instead of giving glory to the imperfect saviors that are out there in the world and within their hearts. They were the, the special, the peculiar people of God. And they had already been honored because they belonged to the God of the universe. But here it is. It's not just Israel. And it's not just Jephthah that has forgotten about the gift of honor but we all of humanity has forgotten hear me on this y'all hear me on this all the honor all the honor that you and I will ever need in this world is spoken in these very words listen to me the words say this let us make humans in our image let us Make humans in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. O oh woman, O oh man, you have been made after the image of the invisible, glorious, beautiful, majestic, incomparable, all-powerful, and mighty, everlasting God. What more honor do you need? You are a human being. Simply by being a human being, you have the greatest honor that there is. Like it's a, uh, right this minute, right now as you sit here and breathe, you are a living image of the invisible almighty God of the universe. But do we think so little of God? Do you see how, do you see how our, uh, the way that we esteem him affects the way that we esteem ourselves? We've lost our way, people, right? We've lost our way. But it it is an honor that God gives to us. It is not earned. It is conferred. It is a gift. And you and I were made as a gift. God has made us as gifts to this world and gifts to himself. But as you know the stories, you've read it before in Genesis, you know that the enemy, that the deceiver, the liar, Satan, that he came and he spoke words of shame to Adam and Eve to, to instigate what we can call the second most dishonorable thing that has ever happened in history. He said to Eve and to Adam, did God really say? And then after that, it was, it was a wrap, right? He said, and in other words, don't you see that God is withholding honor from you? You could be equal with him. Right? And, you know, today we would say, you know, hey, look, like if we, if we were speaking in Satan's terms, we're like, hey, you know, me personally, right? I wouldn't take that if I was you. You know, like, look, like, you know, God's trying to keep you down. He's holding back, right? And so they believed him. And from that point on, shame became the name of the game for our lives. We've lost our way as human beings. And our spirits have been naked and ashamed ever since. We have been sneaking and scrambling and stealing and starving one another to regain our honor. But there is a gift. There is a gift that has been promised from ancient times. In Genesis chapter 3, the Lord said to the serpent, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He was speaking of Jesus. And he says, like like Jephthah, the the apostle John tells us that that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And the prophet Isaiah says that, that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him. We honored him not. But Jesus suffered all of that so that you and I could be redeemed. And like Jephthah's daughter, Jesus, and according to the book of Acts, it says that he was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. But brothers and sisters, I'm here to declare to you this morning that we, have, we, we started out as people who were, who were, and we still are, right, images of the invisible, immortal God, but that image has been defaced and we are ashamed because of sin, but because because God has sent Jesus, we now have a way, we have a gift for our honor to be restored. The gift of honor is in the promise of the Lord and that gift is our humanity redeemed. That is the gift. Jesus, you know, I, I hear this often, and, 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 you know, I say this respectfully, you know, that, that um, <sighs> brother, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Look, I get that. Amen. It's true. Right? It's the, it's the just part that I have issue with. You are not just a sinner saved by grace. You are someone who is created after the image of God, and through Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. You are a redeemed human being, right? That is so much more than just being a sinner saved by grace. Man, look, if you understand what we were in the beginning, then the rescue of Jesus seems so much sweeter and so much deeper because Christ has restored the image of our humanity within us by dying on the cross and declaring victory over sin, death, and the grave. And so, so here, here we stand today with this opportunity to receive the honor that can only be received as a gift from the hands of God himself. What you and I seek is already freely given in Jesus God has done it, but he's not done. He's not done yet, because I heard the prophet Isaiah say in chapter 62, he says that the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. God has also new honor stored up for you so so you see how you see how like the honor that you seek is, is wrapped up in the in the love and the, the providence and the hands of God, right? So here, here's it, and let me get to the, the final point. I see some of our kids have come back in. Look, here, here it is. We need to also seize the work of honor. Okay, so we get the gift, right? What what, what God has done for us? He, he has made us after his own image, he has restored that image. Uh, in us through Jesus, and he has something else in store in the future. So what is the work then of this honor? Like once we have received it, well, we are called to live in the honor of Christ, which sets us free to work for the honor of others. And we work for the honor of God, right? We 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 are called to be gifts that give themselves away. So often we go out into the world trying to receive honor for ourselves and we keep it. But the call that has been placed upon us is to realize that we, in Christ, we already are gifts. And we go out into the world to give ourselves away. Here, let's just another quick little aside. Like, hey, I hear it, you know, I've heard speeches already you know, commencement addresses and such, and they're just like, hey, you know, you're going out into the world, kids, and you're about to, you know, go to these colleges and stuff like that, and man, it's a crazy world out there, and, you know, you need to remember if you're a Christian, you know, who you are in Christ and stuff, and like, look, yes, amen to that. Again, yes, amen. I'm I'm speaking in a nuanced way. I'm hoping y'all follow with this, but it's just like, yes and amen to that, but wait, there's more. Right, you, you don't just go out into the world, young people, and go like, let me find out how to protect myself, you know? Because it's like, these people out here. No! God has called you to go out, and you are to remember who you are in Jesus so that you can give yourself away. The world needs you. That's why you remember who you are. Because if you, if you don't remember who you are, the world suffers for it. God has made you a gift, and you are to give yourself away. That is the the vision, right? And and it's given to us. This is like Philippians chapter 2. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, became like one of us by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That Jesus had given up his place of honor among the, the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven and came and suffered so that you and I could have our humanity restored in him. And so therefore, if we are to follow him, if we say if we look at Jesus and we go like the Mandalorian, this is the way, then, then we go, okay, now how do I then practice this, how do we practice this? How do we become a community that outdoes one another and honoring one another at cost to ourselves? The world is desperate to see that kind of community and it needs it, right? We, we can be that kind of people. One of the reasons why we're, we're so hungry and, and out there, you know, trying to be like other people and stuff like that is because of the demands of others around us. And, and if, if our society would begin to cool down and begin to receive honor from God rather than trying to get it from its achievements and such, then we wouldn't feel so much pressure to do the same thing, right? So, so do you see the need here? This is why the, the church is called to be this kind of community that, that outdoes one another and honoring one another. We will then, if we do this, we will be set free to sacrificially invest in the name of God and others from our hearts. And that is a radical thing. We are called to do honorable things because we're already honored. And even, this is what Jephthah needs to remember, even if what I set out to do doesn't work out, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be fine. Like, Jephthah, what if you had lost the battle? Right? It's good that you won, that you got the victory, right? Because, you know, lives would have been lost, all these different things, but... Man, God still would have had a plan. And that's the point, right? God is in control. God has my good in his, in his heart and in his mind. So even if it doesn't work out, Jephthah should have remembered, I already have a name, and so do you. So pursue your honorable causes. Get after them. Go out there and, and, and do wonderful things. But remember that you were meant to take up all of your achievements, all of your beauty, all of your privilege and your dreams, and you're to give them away to promote the good of others and glorify the Lord. And um, last week, of course, well, I guess it feels like, I guess two weeks ago now, almost, um, we mourned, uh, many of us, you know, the, the loss of uh, some leaders in this denomination, in PCA, um, Brother Harry Reeder and also Brother Tim Keller. And, um, you know, many of you know that I had uh, the privilege of serving with Tim for a long time and, well, three years. Again, Gen X, right? Uh, So (laughs) that's a long time, three years. What? Okay. Um, But, um, (laughs) uh, yeah, I will miss him dearly. Uh, And so uh, some of you may have seen this. If you haven't, I I would um, commend it to you. His address, his last address that he gave um, to the church that he founded. If you go to Redeemer's website, you can find it. And um, one of the things that he said on there just stuck with me with regard to reputation. It's actually the last thing that he says on the video before it goes black. And he says, don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about your credentials. Don't make your ministry success or the rest of you, right, your success at school, your success in your workplace, your success at home and your family, don't make that success your identity. Uh, So as things don't go well, you feel like an utter failure and you just freak out. He said, don't make getting a name, and I speak into Redeemer in New York, but we could also say in the Queen City, right? In Charlotte. Don't make getting a name in this city your main thing. But lift up Jesus' name. Lift up his name. Hallowed be thy name. Forget yourself. Forget your reputation. Jeremiah 45, 5. Are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. Lift up the name of Jesus, and in his name, in his honor, you will find your own. God keeps his promises, and he cannot fail. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have chosen to honor us by first creating us out of your love. Lord, you are under no compulsion, but it simply pleased you to make us. And so we are here because you say so. And God, we have uh, given ourselves, as you know, in, in many ways um, to try to reclaim honor for ourselves, to erase Uh, the shame that we might feel in our hearts and in our lives, or the shame that we, we fear may be coming. But Lord, would you help us once more to entrust ourselves and our reputations into your hands? For you have told us in your word that you are moving all of global history, all things, you are causing all things to work toward the good of those who love you and those whom you have called according to your purpose, Lord. So, Father, help us to stand in that dignity today so that we might become a people who outdo one another in honoring each other, and that we might be a people who do this so that we can give ourselves away to to others around us and glorify your name and to serve you and others just as your Son did for us and continues to do even this very hour. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.